me tell you what I'm going to talk about today. I, it says I'm going to talk about marriage, and I am. But most of the time, when people see a title like that, they think, well, it's specifically only about marriage, and it's about the mechanics of marriage. And that's not what we're doing today. I want to give you the big picture. If you ever um, uh, get in groups that make it this far in our discipleship series, this book, Enjoying Your Relationships, it's about the, the biblical understanding of marriage. I'm going I'm to kind of take the, the spirit of the first three lessons. And let me tell you why it's so important to understand the larger context of something. Um, um, I heard a story one time, I love this story, about this wife that goes into her husband and she says, I got some bad news, we got car trouble. He said, car trouble? She said, yeah, there's water in the carburetor. He said, what? Water in the carburetor? That's ridiculous. She said, no, pretty sure. He said, well, I didn't even think you knew what a carburetor was. And then he paused and he thought, well, he said, I'll, I'll, I'll take a look at it. Where's the car? She said, in the pool. <laughs> you know, even if you can correctly diagnose the details, you're not going to fix the problem without seeing the larger context. And that's what's important. Everybody runs especially specifically what my specific problems are. That's not going to work. Until you understand that God has a design, a design. Do you, all of us understand, don't we, that if you do not use a product or a system according to the purpose for which it was designed, then at the very best, it will not operate to maximum efficiency. And at the very least, you will become so frustrated you may discontinue use all together. Do you understand God has a design for marriage? Watch this. And for all principled, intimate relationships he calls together. Marriage is a unique covenant. There's nothing like it. But it contains the principles that are important for you whether or not you are married or you ever will be married. And so therefore, <clears throat> it behooves us to do summary work. I'm going to read from a scripture in one of these, uh, one of these particular uh, um, 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 passages or, or lessons. But I'm just going to read the end of the scripture, not even the text itself. Because the text kind of gets into um, addressing particular marriages. And you realize when you read about marriage in the scriptures, it is, it is addressing a particular historical context, but it contains the principles that are for all time, for every relationship, that are for every culture. And so there are certain universal principles. So he addresses the, the role of the husband and the role of the wife. And then, and then in 1 Thessalonians chapter um, 3, uh, verse uh, 8 and 9, it says this. To sum up, there it is, there's the big picture. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit. Now notice he's addressing husbands and wives, but there's not one of these that is specific to being a husband and wife. 
He's addressing a condition of a character that is not romantic, has nothing to do with feelings per se. It's the quality of person he wants you to do, of the kind of person, the character he wants you to develop. Now watch, come on with me some more. He says, looking into practically every marriage we know, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. I'm going to get there in a minute. But giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing. Gary Thomas wrote a book um, more recently, and, I, and, and we're out of in the bookstore, we're ordering some more. It was entitled Sacred Marriage, and the subtitle was, What if God's design for marriage was to make you more holy than happy? Let me say that again. What if God's design for marriage was to make you more holy than happy? Think about that for a minute. Because I believe that was his design for marriage. We're going to examine a couple of scriptures in just a moment. And it has nothing to do with the cultural definition. Or the, the reasons we usually get married. It has everything to do with our spiritual design. The purpose God had in mind when he made us. And that was for holy relationships that would bring out that in us which would not only give us our highest use but also make us the most fulfilled. You know, um, I was reading in the uh, Washington Post about a study that was recently done in England um, and it was, it was published in the um, American um, Journal of um, uh, epidemiology. Epidemiology is the, is the, the, the medical science that um, um, identifies the trends toward health or illness, contributing factors toward health or illness. So they did a study in England, 6,000 people. Now watch this. This is in Europe. As to what was the most likely vehicle to produce sustained happiness. Let me say that again. What is the most likely involvement to produce sustained happiness? And this is what they came up with. They put people into activities that they thought would be fulfilling for them. And, and, and they went all the way from um, charity, they got people involved in, in charity organizations to educational um, organizations, the ones that, you know, where you learn a lot and you feel like you know more and you're more confident, uh, to, to community organizations, politics, just trying to make things better in the community, and religious organizations. You know, the singular organization that created sustained happiness? Religious organizations. Now, why? Because that's how we were designed. Because 
God wants us to have a sense that not only are we doing good in the world, but we are fulfilling a divine purpose in our lives. That's how we were designed. And science is just discovering that, which is a little bit encouraging. I want to tell you that uh, part of what these books list is that the world, if you look to the world, they're kind of confused right now about this whole marriage thing, about, about all the basics. They're kind of confused about gender and, all, you know, about all what we thought we knew, you know. And it's just kind of a fog out there. I mean, they, they, they kind of create a fog. And I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a little chart here that just starts certain words. We're going to just fog. If you look to the culture, don't look for clarity. Don't look for clarity. And by the way, I'm not mad about any of this. Please don't be mad about any of this. The culture just wandering around doing, without reference to God, without following scripture, they're not going to have clarity. They're just going to create what, what they know based upon what makes them feel good or looks good at the time. And, and they're doing it with very good motivations, but they've, they've got nothing higher upon which to base those values. And so they will get married on the basis of affection. How quickly does that fade? They will get married on the basis of attraction. They will get married on the basis of potential for self-gratification. I think that guy will make me happy. Well, none of those last. Y'all, those of you who married know that. Those of you who are divorced really know it. None of, the, not, none of those last. And so there's this, there's this fog out there. What is the reason for marriage? And there's also this kind of unspoken, you know, kind of everybody ought to be married. That's not what the Bible says. Marriage is a calling. The Bible says exactly the opposite. If you don't have to get married, don't get married. You know, if you're not called to be married, don't get married. Because it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says singleness is a great gift. Because you can focus on what the Lord wants you to do. If you get married, then you're, you're taking into consideration a lot of, you know, kind of double duty kind of thing. Now, marriage is a sacred calling and it's wonderful and God devised it. And I'm going to talk about it in a minute. But please don't think singleness is secondary to marriage. It's not. Not in, not in uh, part of what this book said uh, it was... You know, we've long admired people's individual efforts at dedicating themselves totally to God. You know, if somebody fasts for days and days and days, we just think, how holy is that? Oh, that's so holy that they would make that sacrifice. Or if somebody, if a hermit goes out and lives all alone, then we kind of enshrine that, that self um, alienation. We, we kind of enjoy that, 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 that uh, sacrifice of loneliness. Why is it that we can't enshrine either marriage as a means of holiness or Christian relationships in a spiritual family as a means of holiness? That's just as holy to God. And so our only our only um, 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 reference is not to what the world thinks marriage is. 
As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this, and you know this verse very well. Do not be conformed to the world, not to their definition, not to what they say is right, not to their cultural values. Don't be conformed. That's, if that's, don't be mad at them. Don't speak ill of them. But they're not us. They're not us. They're not following scripture. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of the Lord is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. The second thing that will confuse you by looking to the culture is pretty much what the culture does is fight. And pretty much if you live according to the culture, that's what you'll do in your marriage. You will fight. Because, watch this, if you come into a marriage with the wrong purposes, if you come in in order to have your individual self actualized, to be gratified, to have somebody make you happy, somebody fulfill your dreams, you got two people like that in a marriage, guess what they're going to do? They're going to clash all their life. Because both of them are trying to get their own way. And both of them are trying to trump one another. Now, there, I'm going I'm to get to this a little bit later. There is legitimate disagreement about issues or discussions about how to do something better than you have. That's legitimate. But by fighting, I mean personal attack, which most marital, and by the way, close friendships sometimes devolve into this kind of dynamic where you are, it's an ad hominem against the person attack and you're trying to tear them down. You've given it, you've, you've abandoned the subject and you've begun to attack the person. Now what happens when that happens? I've told you this before, let me tell you again because I can't tell you too many times. You kill the love in that marriage. You kill it. The deeper you go, the more temper, the deeper you cut. I've, I've given you this analogy before. If you cut somebody deeply and you have to stitch them up and, they, and, and it gets back to it, you know what's going to develop there? A scar. You know what scar tissue is? It's the illusion that things are as they were, but there's no feeling in scar tissue. When you tear each other down, it's not that you will hate each other, it's that you will eventually not feel anything for the other. That's what cutting each other comes, uh, comes to. And so fighting, just not a good option. We will, we will argue, and hopefully uh, argue the point, but deferentially, with a humble spirit, as it says in that. I was listening to a TED talk the other day. I, I sometimes I listen to TED talks and I just listen for biblical principles. You know, all truth is God's truth. And this, this mental health uh, um, professional, uh, Liza Shaw, I think her, her, her uh, um, name was, was, was a marriage counselor. And she said, we've got to realize something. When we fight, the only three alternatives we see are you win, or you lose, or you compromise. She said, none of those get you where you want to go. She said, if you win, what have you done? 
What you have done is you have overpowered someone, but you have not improved the relationship. You are not closer because you have won. You have just won, watch this, for the moment. If you lose, what happens? Well, then you just wonder when you can win. Or if you are the less dominant of the relationship, you start to so store up chips. You know, that you can cash them in someday. Depression chips or anger chips or, 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 or victim chips or whatever they are. You start to store them up. Not good for the relationship. So everybody says, well, you got to compromise. She said, that really isn't very rewarding either. You don't compromise in a relationship because both of you are counting. What did I lose in this? What did I have to give up in this? She said, you know what works? Coming up with a solution that both of you have worked on and neither one of you offered at first. Coming up with something new. When it says in Scripture, in, 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 in um, Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 15, remember this. It says, then the Lord, God took, uh, the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. You know what cultivate means? It means bring forth that which was not there. And that's what we need to do in our relationships with each other. Don't just argue about what is there. Bring forth that which is not there. And then keep it. Then protect that. And then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to say a little bit more about this in just a moment. I will make him a helper suitable for him. I've told you many times that, that word helper in Hebrew is one who talks back. I, I will make him somebody who will talk back to him. Now, not talk back in a snide, snippy way, not in a cutting way, but offers a different perspective because she is in a different place. What does it say? It says that after the guy couldn't get a date with the animals because they weren't enough alike, he created the woman out of the man who was enough alike him to be intimate, but he brought her to the man because why? She was in a different place. She had a different perspective. And this is what he learned. He learned that in order to fulfill his purpose, he needed somebody who would give him an idea he didn't have. And she might need an idea she didn't have. That's why he puts us together. That's one of the reasons he puts us together. So in the, in the culture, we have two alternatives. We either don't know what we're doing, that's called fog, or we fight about what we think we're doing, that's called fight, all right? But there's another alternative. And this is the biblical, these are biblical principles, all right? First of all, we have to know the fit. We have to know the, how we fit together. That is to say, God's got this great sense of humor, and not only with your marriages, but with your very close relationships, he will give you someone who thinks not only differently than you do, but irritatingly so. Irritatingly so. Irritation is a part of our growth. You understand that, don't you? Everybody understand that? You're not supposed to go unirritated. You know? Yeah, because nothing will make the radical improvement you need to make other than discomfort. It, it, it's not going to happen. You're gonna, not going to slide into excellence. You've got, to, you've got to be irritated into excellence. You've got, to, you've got to be provoked 
into excellence. And so when I read that Genesis 2.15 passage, that's what it's talking about. And I want you to notice something. In that original marriage, in that original marriage, nothing but, nothing about romance. I mean, you can, you can create some music in the background if you want to. Guarantee you there wasn't any. You know? The, the father is bringing the bride to the man, but he's bringing them, why? So that A, they can get their work done together. See, this is what it means to, to fit. You're fitted for a purpose, and the purpose is not your individual happiness. The purpose back then was the garden. And so whatever your work is, and her work is, then, then you need to help each other to be productive. You can encourage one another, and that's what you're there for, to be productive. But you also need to have something that both of you think are more important than you are. Usually that comes in the form of kids. Many times people think, man, I was romantic till I had kids. Well, do you know the fulfillment, if you stick with it, <laughs> of producing human beings together that are more important to, to you are than you? Do you realize the spiritual growth that comes out of that? Do you realize how much you look like Jesus Christ when you literally give up your life for them? And what a marriage is like when you, when, when you, when you have that kind of sense that we were fitted together for God's purpose and not my own comfort. Huge, huge. Let me tell you the second principle. The second principle beyond fit is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Now again, God gives us relationships. Now let me break into another kind of relationship here. When the Bible talks about the body, when the Bible talks about the church, which is another word for your spiritual family, it talks about the kind of intimacy and needed togetherness that was characteristic of the first couple in the garden. We fit together, we are one person. And so we are faithful in those relationships because we need each other, personally need each other. In, in Genesis 2.24, this is what it says. It says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. One flesh. You know what that means? They're not themselves anymore. You never again think of just yourself. You always think of the other person. That's what it's supposed to mean anyhow. That's the larger design. You always say, how will this affect them? When you have children, how will this affect them? When you have a community, how will this affect them? And therefore, when it goes to 1 Corinthians 12, and it's talking about the church, the body, this is what it says. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, this is God's design for every one of you. Every, to each one, you are not excluded from that statement. 
God has given you a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. This is usually called uh, spiritual gifts. But, but it's also in your wiring. It's not just a spiritual gift. It's the way he created you. And you will never know fully why he created you like he did. He didn't make a mistake when he wired you like he did. And when you receive a spiritual gift, it will usually be in accordance with your wiring. But the only way you discover that is to fit with other people. That's why the puzzle piece. Because you know what a puzzle piece is by itself? <laughs> Pretty useless. Pretty useless. I mean, it's a, it's a, you could look at it and go, hmm, well, do you know how we are by ourselves? We, we, have, we have value, but only potential value as we fit with others in fulfilling the picture God has created. And this is what it goes on to say. For the body is not one member, but many. And the eye cannot say, uh, uh, not, you go ahead. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Could I say something to everyone? I want every person, no matter where you are, I want you to hear this. And I want, you to, I want the Holy Spirit, by his rhema, just to, just to attach your name to this. You are not dispensable to the purposes of God. No one can fill the role he's given you to perform. Have you ever, I don't know whether we got puzzle people in here, but if you've ever put together a puzzle and you had one piece missing, what could you think about? You can't think about how pretty that thing is. You go, we got to find the piece. What did Jesus say about the sheep? You know, that one lost sheep says a shepherd has 99 sheep. But he leaves them and goes looking for the one. Why? None of you are dispensable. None of, none of us are dispensable. Each piece is of equal value. And so therefore, it's important to understand that not only does it say in Genesis 2.24 we will become one flesh. But in, in 1 Corinthians 12, it says we are one body. And so our, our integration together in the purposes of God helps us understand the great vision he has for us. You know, we've been meeting. You're going to hear more about this as we go along. But we've, we, we, we know what God has this, this vision for Northland for the future. And it's for Northland to uniquely fulfill. You know, Northland's just another one of God's churches, not any more important or less important than any other church. But I gotta tell you, just like individuals, so too with churches, he gives us purposes that no other church can fulfill. And we know what ours is. And so we've been meeting with groups of, you know, 15, 20, 30 people just to get, kind of get feedback. These folks have been around Northland for quite a while and we just kind of been having these little meetings here and there and, and kind of laying it out. Why God made us like he did. We have been wired for his vision for us for the future since before I got here. He put the DNA into Northland 
for what he's telling us to do before I got here. And we have been molded and crafted by God through the last 30 years to do exactly what we're going to need to do in the next 10 or the next 20 or the next 30. But you know what the great thing for me was in, 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 in meeting with all these folks? It's not just the vision. I, I'm a vision person. I live by vision. Nothing excites me like vision. Like bringing forth something that, that wasn't there. Creating something that, that the world needs that it doesn't have right now. I love that. But let me tell you what I love more. I love more that we're doing it together. This isn't going to be what the 20% of most active people at Northland can accomplish. This is what every one of us are needed to do. Every one of us. And I love that because he teaches us faithfulness. That we, year after year, we're still here. We're still together. And then the last one is fruitfulness. Let me go back to the very beginning. In your marriage, in our church, in your most personal relationships, you will never have a sense of satisfaction without being productive. You are here because God still has things for you to accomplish for the sake of his glory, for the sake of other people around you. That's why we're still here. And we will not be fruitful without each other's help. Again, I want to go back to the, to the 1 Corinthians 7 passage. You don't have to be married. Spiritual families do the same thing for us. The Bible is, is, is when, it, when it comes to Paul, he said, look, put up the 1 Corinthians passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 7. This is, this is what it said. I wish that all men were even as I am myself. And he was single. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. So I've just gone over that. We all have a gift, you know. And then in, 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 in verse 8 it says, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it's good for them to remain, uh, if they remain even as I am. In other words, we don't want you to involve yourself in sexual immorality. If you're going to do that, get married. But, but we want you to focus together on the purpose I have for you. So please don't ever get discouraged if you're not called into marriage. Please understand that that can be a good thing, you know, and that loneliness, watch this, is not a natural state because when you have close friends and people who are together with you producing something that all of you know is important, you won't be lonely. We're all in this together. This is what it says in Ecclesiastes. It says to, now, now stop right there. He says to, but what did the Lord say? Where two or three are gathered together, there I am in their midst. And then he went on to say, wherever you are gathered in my name, there I am. So the number really doesn't matter. As long as the number is not just one. All right. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. 
What's the purpose of marriage? Productivity. Encouraging one another, bringing out of one another the gifts and the graces that that other person has. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion, but woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. So what's the spirit of marriage? What's the design for marriage that has within it principles for all of our spiritual family? It's this, that God has made you for a purpose. We are designed to form relationships in accordance with that purpose. And if we look to the culture or just to our own appetites for the way we form relationships, we will not only be frustrated, but sooner or later we will discontinue use. But if we make relationships in accordance with God's design, if we stay together, if we walk together, if we accomplish together, then not only will he bless our church, he'll bless your marriage on that basis. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for this, this bigger picture. We can always try to fix the details, but it'll never go right until we conform to your intentions, the purpose for which you made us, both as individuals and as a family. And so we ask you this, Lord. We know we can't do this on our own. If we're just human, if we don't have Jesus living in us, then we're all going to operate out of our human appetites and our human whims and our human desires. So those who are worshiping us with us right now, who want to invite your nature, your, your relationship nature into them, knowing that sin is what keeps them isolated. Sin is what keeps them selfish. Sin is what keeps them from you. And knowing that Jesus has already paid for and abolished the power of that sin on the cross, let them right now pray to receive him by praying these words as I say them out loud. Lord Jesus, I want the forgiveness of sins and the new life that you have for me. And I want to love like you love. And I want to do the good in this world that you meant for me to do when you created me. So come into my heart and live there and help me walk with you as I build a spiritual family into the future. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, would you all stand, stand for the benediction? Let me remind you um, that uh, at the hub, if you're at Longwood, you can get better connected here. If you're looking at a way, for a way to get connected, they can start you on the right path. Um, and they can tell you about the financial um, freedom class that's coming up. Those of you online, um, you have Bill Gary and Nathan Clark. Use them. Write them. Ask them questions. They're with you. Those of you in this particular Longwood room know that we have a prayer team at the front. They would be pleased to pray with you about everything from salvation to healing to a burden you may have, have walked in with or a question you may have. 
they would be glad to stand with you. But for all the rest of us, whenever we leave today, let's leave with this in mind. God has made me to build a relationship in ways that will glorify him and that will encourage the person with whom I'm building that relationship. When I love that, love like that, the kingdom will be built and I will be fulfilled. Amen.